on Chew Diligence. Chef Joe West of the Savoy at 21C, a Casey icon brought back to life. When you start reading about it in the history and you see like all the people that have dined there before, you realize that you're kind of like... You know, it's it's a really important place, and it's definitely an honor for me. How family meals inspired his love for cooking. You know, like on Sundays, not every Sunday, but we would do um, like either yaki niku or skiaki. Um, so like you know those like those electric griddle pans, and for me to like sit there and watch like the um, the cabbage starting to caramelize and brown up, and watching how like. When you, you start with oil, but then you add butter later on, and that butter starts to brown up. You see all that, and you like get excited about, I guess, like the science of cooking, really. Uh, we've had to stop and go, wait a minute, we need to start the podcast, because in the podcast studio, we've already been talking about so much with Chef Joe West, Lindsay Shively here in the podcast studio with Jill Silva. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming in, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me. One of the first things we usually start with is first the food, and we've all been out of town. And uh, should we start with Joe's or mine? What do you think? Um, <clears throat> I think probably yours. Okay. And segue into Joe's fun Fun and more upbeat. Yes, I know it. Well, and we say that because we were talking for a while about um, over the holiday weekend. I went to brunch at Hogshead on the Plaza and had not heard yet that they only had a week left. They're closing on January fifth, so by the time this podcast comes out, they will have already been closed. Right? I'm looking at Haley. She's like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, but sadly, sadly, just a week or so before they close their doors. The chorizo stuffed dates with goat cheese, everything I've had there has been really, really good. Um, and the 41 story when we reported on it was that uh, the restaurant said that overhead was too high. Uh, and we're just thinking about the great places we've lost this year. There are quite a few of them actually recently, but I'm sure it's all for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And, um, it just shows me being on the other side doing public relations and marketing these days it's really hard. It's a tough, tough world out there. Tough business. What do you think about that, Joe? Yeah, it really is a tough business. I mean, like I was saying before, you know, I think every day I get even more afraid to even open my own place mm. just because of uh, the tight margins. Um, every penny counts for sure. And that's something over the years I've learned. Um, it's really, yeah, it's tough and it's sad too. Yeah. And right now, uh, Joe is at the Savoy amazing historic hotel but with a really cool new vibe and we want to talk about the amazing food you've had because you went up to minneapolis and ate at spoon and stable which wow i have wanted to eat there for a long time yeah same here um you know i've known gavin Kaysen for a long time just as a i mean he doesn't know who i am but i uh are you I, sure i've been following that? him for a long time and um you know we did an event here in kansas city a few years ago but um uh, you know, since he opened Spoon Stable, I wanted to go and check it out. Um, had a ton of friends that have been out there, and um, you know, plus too, it's like it's in the Midwest. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's really, it's actually not that far. I mean, it's only like an hour of a flight, um, and it was one of those things where I needed to get one quick trip in before the end of the year, so I um, you know just took a flight out to Minneapolis for the night and went and ate at Spoon Stable, and then the next day just came back home and started working. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. A quick trip. Yeah. Was it research? 
Uh, or mean, you just wanted to get out. I feel in a like way. it's. I feel like it's half and half. It's always mm. half and half. I yeah. think you're, you're always researching whenever you go out. But then also, like over years, I've realized that I just need to relax and just enjoy and have fun and not really like uh, nitpick or um, you know dissect every single thing. But it's hard not to sometimes, mm-hmm. just because that's just what the nature of your business. But. Um, you know, it was great though. The food was awesome. Um, it, it's it's always exciting too. Like when you go by yourself and you order like everything on the menu, they always <laughs> look at you and uh, you know. And then, but the cool thing is like the server gets really excited. And they're like, oh, she's super pumped, and she's like, oh yeah, this is gonna be great. Like he's gonna try out all these new dishes and um, yeah. So I, I ordered a bunch of food and. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Did you think you were a critic? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like sometimes, you, I think as a chef, you kind of are a critic. Mm-hmm. You know, in, you know, in the back of your mind, I think you're always, you know, critical of everything that you're you're eating. But again, yeah, I just like I just like it when people cook for me, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, you can relax. Yeah. and just eat the awesome food. Exactly. Was there any amazing or crazy or different cool dish that you had? Um, they had a really great venison dish. They told me the chef was super excited about it. It was fresh, uh, never frozen. Um, it was interesting because it was all leg meat, and it seemed like they kind of uh, trimmed it up really well and cleaned it up really well, and then they kind of like pieced it together, rolled it into um, a roll wrapped in pork fat, and then mm-hmm. it was grilled, um, served medium rare, and it was just super tender and moist and juicy and like – I mean, it tasted like a filet almost. Like the texture was so soft. And for venison, I felt like that was really unique. And um, yeah. yeah, served with um, this caramelized onion. And um, yeah, and it was another note too about the restaurant. I thought it was really unique was that, or not unique, but what kind of surprised me, there were a lot of similarities to what we were doing. And it was just by accident, I think. A lot of like, we have a trout dish. They've got a trout dish that's served with fennel. Ours is served with fennel. Um, just a lot of similarities like that, which was really surprising. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I guess good minds think alike, right? I, I, I hope. <laughs> yeah. In my case. Well, there's also some classic pairings. So that might, you know. Sure. Yeah. Could absolutely. that be some of it? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. too. I mean, I think also, um, you know, most chefs, we think seasonal and mm-hmm. we think about the classics and we've seen those dishes before and those are just natural things to, to go to and um, you know, the, the weather, that all kind of uh, helps out too. And I think that also happens in Kansas City a lot where you see a, a dish that's very similar to yours or someone else is doing something uh, similar to another restaurant um, and you just like you realize like okay well we're all in the same atmosphere here the weather the mood everything all affects the way you decide on what you're doing and um, so it's just fun to kind of see how that happens naturally. It's in the air a little bit. Yeah, we're yeah. all artists kind of using the same paint so to speak, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if um, somebody's never been to the Savoy, this beautiful historic hotel that now has this phenomenal modern twist around the hotel and your restaurant. Right. How would you describe your food to people? Well, you know, it's uh, it's it's definitely an evolution. Um, our food definitely reflects the I think like our Midwest hospitality and and um, everyone's got their own point of view of what their what Midwest means or their point of view of what fine dining is or um, you know what, what classics are and so you know for me I'm just I'm kind of just speaking from my own story and you know I'm just a kid that's half Japanese that grew up in Kansas City and and 
Um, you know, so I've been around the Midwest my whole life, and this is kind of just like my point of view and and that evolution. And so a lot of the dishes that we do kind of um, stem from different stories of uh, from the past, and um, you know, and also too, like you think about it, it's like what do I want to eat, and what sounds good, and um, what what what's exciting, and you're always kind of searching for the the new aha or like the new excitement or, you know, and you're just trying to think about, um, yeah, like what's going to make someone else be, wow, that's awesome. And so, you know, our food, we, we represent a lot of farmers around, around our um, area and we let that dictate the, um, the, the components of our dishes and, um, and then we kind of go from there and we try to have fun with everything. I think sort of my style kind of leans towards that West Coast mentality in most ways. Um, and, and when I think about the Midwest, I think about how we just kind of we pull from all corners of the country. And, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of um, it, it's, a, it's a mix of different cultures and we're right there in the middle. So, you know, we're a little bit of North, we're a little bit of South, you know, we've, we serve biscuits in the Midwest and, you know, so we have fried chicken in the Midwest and, you know, it's not just the South or, you know, we, we also serve seafood and, and even though we're landlocked and, um, but these days you can get great seafood in, in a matter of hours and, um, and you can pull from, from both coast and, and then, I mean, <clears throat> For me to look at the old Savoy menus, they serve tons of seafood. And mm. back in the fifties and the you know sixties, seventies, it's and you just think like, how in the hell was that possible? To, you know, to, right. to bring in fresh seafood and into Kansas City like that. When I know how difficult it can be even today to do that. And, and this is a restaurant that has a booth where Truman sat because he came in so often, right? I mean, the yeah. history is unbelievable. Yeah, it's still there. We still have the plaque for the the Truman booth, and and it's fine. We we do get quite a few people uh, requesting the booth still uh, today. <laughs> the actual hotel though goes back to even the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, eighteen ninety six, I believe. Yeah, and and the the murals in the Savoy were made in nineteen o three. Yeah, so a lot of history. Um, you know, even when I grew up. Um, you know, I just didn't really hear much about the Savoy back in like the '90s, and, um, and you know, it was kind. Of, I think it was kind of taking. It was kind of on that that downward. You know, it was kind of getting close to the end of the Savoy, basically. And um, even when I was older, you know, working at places like Blue Stem, and I was living downtown, I think I remember um, just even walking by, thinking it was closed. Just didn't even mm. know much about it, didn't hear much about it, um, but. When you start reading about it in the history, and you see like all the people that have dined there before, and um, the menus, and you see all the uh, just the pictures, and you realize that you're kind of like you know it's it's a really important place, and it's definitely an honor for me for sure, and um, you know it's kind of really neat to think back if you were when I was younger wanting to be a chef like. Someone told me you're going to be the executive chef of the Savoy in Kansas City. That would have been really crazy. I mean, mm. you know, I think in, at one point this was the palace of the of Kansas City. It was the you know the the monumental restaurant that you would go for your special occasions and 
trying to do that again now. Does that change how your menu is formed? I mean, you said you're looking at the old menus. Sure. You know, we started out with a really classic menu because that's really what I wanted it to do. I wanted it to, like, bring all these old school dishes and things that, you know, I just never really grew up eating or cooking myself, actually. But, um, you know, you, you learned a, f- a few of these dishes at, like, culinary school, and that was, like, the last time you ever made them. <laughs> <laughs> like and, what? Which ones? Oh, you know, like uh, like Steak Diane. Was, that's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know exactly how we made it in culinary school, but it was nothing like – I'm sure it was nothing like how it used to be. And and um, uh, and then even today when we – or, like, last year when we, when we made it, um, it was more of like a refined dish. It was it was simple, but still uh, refined and complex in and, and certain ways. And um, that was the thing. We wanted to go with this whole like 1950s kind of like menu and, you know, this whole like, uh, it, you know, you started seeing some restaurants like in New York City, the Grill over in, in New York City where they were doing some really cool old school um, dishes and you'd walk in and you felt like you were in the 50s walking into this uh, brand new restaurant, uh, just polished, clean, you know, white linens and all that stuff. And, you know, I was super inspired by that. And that was the best meal we had in New York City when we were doing our R&D trip out there. Um, and, and so, you know, I wanted to kind of like do that same kind of thing. And I think people just didn't understand what where I was coming from. Um, when they started coming in, uh, when we first opened, I think it was kind of tough to kind of get that translated to the guest. And either you thought, <clears throat> either you thought it was boring because you weren't, because you were used to having these like extremely Asian high intensity flavored dishes that I used to make in like my pop ups or something, or you thought it wasn't the same like it used to be in back in the day. Hmm. Um, and so we kind of missed out on both ends of that, I think. And so that's why to start it, I started deciding to um, evolve the menu, and we kind of just slowly transformed it to what it is today. And so, you know, we didn't – it wasn't like overnight we switched over. We kind of just started doing – we did these straightforward classics, and then we, we went into a more um, – uh, play on classics, and then it kind of just moved and moved, and then it became hyper seasonal and went back to kind of like the stuff that I I was used to cooking, mm-hmm. and then you know back in the day, I guess. So, did you ever eat at the Savoy growing up, Joe? <clears throat> I actually never did. Yeah. What about you, Lindsay? No, did you? Well, I did. Um, not back when Steak Diane probably was <laughs> the thing, um, but I did eat with um, the late restaurant critic Lauren Chapin, we went in one time, and I do remember that was um, Oysters Rockefeller. We sat in the booth, and, and we ate Oysters Rockefeller, and then before I know it, somehow we ended up in the kitchen. I'm not, <laughs> not really sure how that happened. Um, but I think we were the maybe one of two tables there. It, it just, it had that sort of, I'm, I hate to say it, but that dying feeling. You kind of knew something was not quite going to carry through to contemporary times so it's really cool to see that they came in they changed things up they you know added a little modern touches and um and brought you in to do something something different yeah you know and that was what's great about 21c is that they just they let me do what i want to do and and we all have this um you know, I think we all kind of we're on the same page here, and and so it feels natural. And um, yeah, when I 
when I applied for the job, like I, you know, wasn't exactly sure what um, I was getting into, but I also knew, um, you know, working in places like Cincinnati, uh, where they also have a property out there, and I was super jealous of that 21C and uh, wanted to work there, and um, and so when we um, had 21C come in Kansas City, I was like, oh, that'd be really cool to be the chef mm-hmm. of that hotel. So, yeah. Can we talk about the penguins? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you've not been, uh, when, we, when we were eating there, there was a magical penguin that just kept getting moved to table to table. Uh, what's that like? What's what's the story with the penguins? So 21C have, um, back when it was just Louisville, and that was the only hotel, um, the penguins were actually an art piece, and they're red in Louisville. Um, they're from Italy, and um, really expensive. I think they're like $2,000 or something like that a piece. Um and they were so popular, and then eventually they changed the art out, and they, they left, and people were like, oh, where are the penguins at? you got to bring the penguins back. And they're like, okay, you know. And, and I think the story was that they brought them back, and then it kind of just became like a mascot, and it kind of like that was the thing. And then when they opened up the next hotel, it was like, okay, we got to get a different color. And, um, and the plastics, all re- it was all made from recyclable um, plastic um, too, so – that's uh, what they, blew me away. Yeah. They look like they would be heavy statues, right. Right, yeah. sculptures. Right. And then I don't know if I touched it or if somebody picked it up and moved it. And I was like, look at that. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's very lightweight. How funny. It created a great buzz before the opening. <laughs> yeah. No, penguins that, all over town. Exactly. It was fun. And, and it's fun for me. Like I'll, I'll bring them with me if I go out to like offsite events and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's fun for everybody, I think. Does it have a name? Uh, no name. No name? No. It's a mascot without but a name. The, the color is sky blue, and that represents the Midwest skies. So. Hmm. I like how the details are thought about like that. Yeah. yeah I love the art, um, mm-hmm. honestly, in the in in the uh, halls as you come in and the exhibit areas and really beautiful. And I actually was at a special event that you did not long ago. And would that be called the ballroom area or was that an exhibit area? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was um, – that's like our main gallery. Uh, yeah, main so, gallery. Yeah. yeah. If we had a ballroom, I guess that would be essentially it. It was beautiful yeah. in there and surrounded by really cool art. Um, yeah. It's really neat because like – I mean for me, I'm an art fan. And I love art. That's kind of like what I do when I'm on my days off. I go to museums and stuff or when I visit other cities, I go to museums. So um, to be a part of that, it's really neat to see that and – you know, like there's tough days, so like I'll just walk out of the kitchen and go look at art for a little bit and reset my mind, and it's really neat. So it's also good if you go to the restaurant with a screaming child. <laughs> did that happen, Lindsay? It did, and it was Mother's Day brunch. Uh. <laughs> it was perfect. We could walk the lobby. Oh, yeah, no, it is, and that's got to be nice when you're in such a creative space in your head to be around mm-hmm. all of that. It is. It's and it, it can be inspiring. Um, it also can just be a nice like moment of mm-hmm. silence and. You know, something to think about something else besides what's going on at work, and uh, that's really awesome. Do you find yourself bringing in more of? You said, you know, in your pop ups, you uh, were creating food with a lot of Asian flavor. And when we were there, uh, your Mother's Day brunch had a croque madame, which is a classic and one of my favorites, and fried rice, which was awesome and delicious. Do you incorporate that a lot more now? Yeah, I do, and it's um, and it's just kind of like again. I think we were just on this, like, Asian kick, too, in the kitchen. So my chef de cuisine, Nick, 
um, our cooks and chefs in the kitchen. I think we uh, I got a sous chef Adam who's he loves Asian food. I feel like every time he's off and he he goes out to a restaurant, it's always an Asian restaurant. So I kind of make fun of him for it. Like I'm like, oh, another one. Like why don't you try something different? But um, but we we all love it and um, you know we just love those flavors like the fresh mint and basil and you know the, the ginger and 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 then going deeper into like fermentation and um, and all that stuff. And I think it just um, you know I think. Back in what, like the early two thousands, late nineties, it was the whole like Asian fusion, fusion confusion kind of thing, and people it kind of had like a bad rap for a second. Um, but I kind of think it's, I mean, it's definitely been back. I mean, I think it's gotten better. I think chefs have gotten better about um, how to um, uh, pull in different components and ingredients and, and make them work well. And and so, you know, we just kind of give that bright, fresh uh, take on certain dishes. A lot of my food sometimes can be pretty heavy, so um, – but I feel like I do a pretty good job about brightening it up a lot with those fresh herbs and the citrus and the, the acidity from vinegars and fermentation. So, what did you eat growing up? I'm curious. As a you know, half yeah. Japanese, did you have Japanese food? Did, yeah, yeah, Midwestern. Or so my combo? mom, uh, my mom would make Japanese food a lot, but also like green bean casserole and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like. Um, so I think she I think she learned a little bit from my dad's mom a little bit like when we go to like family reunions and things like that she she was always helping in the kitchen she's a great cook actually um and you know like on Sundays not every Sunday but we would do um like either yaki niku or skiaki um so like you know those like those electric griddle pans that you connect to the yeah you just put it on the table and we would um, do it like on the coffee table and sit down around it. And with that on, my mom would have like a plate of chopped up raw chicken and shaved beef and shrimp. If it was a really like awesome day, it'd be shrimp. There'd be shrimp too, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then just a ton of vegetables like cabbage and onions and carrots and kind of like whatever uh, was around basically. Um, scallions and and that would just go into that griddle, that hot griddle. Um, right in the middle and you just watch that sizzle and you know everyone had chopsticks so you kind of got to like poke at things and move things around and for me to like sit there and watch like the um, the cabbage starting to caramelize and brown up and watching how like when you you start with oil but then you add butter later on and that butter starts to brown up and it even helps caramelize even more and you see all that and you like get excited about I guess like the science of cooking really and um, and you realize all oh, the crunchy bits, the little crispy edges of the cabbage that got left on the on the griddle like later at the end of the night or like the onions that kind of got to the got pushed to the side that are just kind of like getting real crispy. Those are like those things that I really loved at the end of the, of the meal. And um, there'd be always like a pile of uh, rice and then the sauce was kind of like a teriyaki sauce. There was a couple different ones. There was a spicy one and then there was one that was kind of like more mild. Um, but we would just go to um, the Asian market on the way home from maybe we went to the zoo or something but then we'd go to the Asian market and then pick up some stuff and then go and um, my mom would make that and that was like one of the best it was always the best thing it was so good man yeah. that's that's the comfort food that you remember growing up <clears throat> yeah exactly um, you know even like curries like the the Japanese um, 
they're like concentrated cubes, and you just like you just add water, I think, and um, you know, there's that and like potatoes and carrots and onions, and my mom would have rice for that, and that'd be like a meal. And but then there would be times where it was like beef stew or spaghetti and just like normal you know stuff like you just have around you know um, hamburger helper. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, tuna helper, all that stuff. Did you eat rice a lot? Because my kids, uh, being half Brazilian. Or I was commenting that no one eats rice in the Midwest. They only eat potatoes, and they don't know how to make rice. And that's like a staple at our house. Not every day, but pretty often. Yeah, I think we, we ate rice a lot. Um, we had a rice cooker, and my mom would always have this giant bag of rice, like, in the kitchen, always. It was always there. Like um, the 10, 20-pound bag? Yeah. Like the, yeah <laughs> That's exactly. what we have, to. Right. And, yeah, and then we would cook it, and my mom would always make a ton of it, and then save, like, half of it and put it in the fridge, and then that would be fried rice, like, in a couple days. Mm. Um, so you should yeah. age it? Is that a so, tip? I think so. I think you, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, like if you cook rice well enough, you can make it and then just make fried rice. But um, but if you put it in the fridge, I mean, there's really not much else you can do because it dries up so much. So like the best thing to do with it, I think, is just making fried rice. And I think it clumps uh, sometimes, it, too. It does. You kind of have to break it up sometimes, okay. you know, and, and you, you got to cool it and then wrap it. Otherwise, it'll steam up even more and, mm. like, lump up and... All that, but what yeah. do you cook for yourself when you're not working and you just want to eat something? Um, you know, I do a lot of Italian food, honestly, because I feel like it's just super easy to just take some pasta and make a quick tomato sauce or something. Um, you know, and and honestly, like sometimes it's usually like frozen pizza. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> what brand? <laughs> and, like whatever. And honestly, do you have a favorite? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, Honestly, I don't really have a favorite. I just kind of find new brands. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool, and I get that one. And um, you know, and if it's really, if time's really tight, then it's like quit trip. And (laughs) it's the glamorous life of a chef, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Have you had the dish frozen pizza? Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, it's one of my favorites. I used to work there. Oh, really? Yeah. I was the to-go girl. (laughs) Calling the guy. Have you had this, Jill? I have, and you know what? They have frozen pizzas. That's what I mean. The, yeah. yeah, in the grocery store. That's, well, I've been yeah. to the, <coughs> the, the restaurant. Well, they're not open anymore, but I no. went there when they were still open. Maybe I took your still, order. You might have. You <laughs> never know. Never know. Joe, tell us a little bit about how you got into cooking because this starts very early in your life with the uh, yeah, it does. Shawnee Mission program. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, so growing up, I, you know, my family loves food. Um, we would go, even if we go to like Olive Garden, I was always like, I was always super excited about it. Just watching like the servers running around and like the food and, and it always like, it drove me crazy because I was like, why does restaurant food taste so good? Like, why does this, you know, why why is it different? And I never, I was so curious about that. Even just talking to my parents about it, like we, we would sit around and just kind of like, you know, obviously I was really young. So they're just talking to me like, what do I think about all this stuff? And um, yeah, so I was really curious. And my mom being a server, uh, she served at June's Japanese restaurant and then worked at uh, Tatsu's French restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, I was always around it. And my mom would work night shifts and come in after dinner. And, um, you know, I'd stay up late just so I can hear, like, the stories, like, what happened, like, today. Like, what was the drama going on, you know? So, <laughs> you know, and she'd tell me all that stuff. And um, it was even better, like, if she had, like, food, like, you know, from the restaurant, like that was she was taking home, and I'd like, can I taste it? You know, it's like eleven o'clock at night. And, um, 
But um, yeah, so it was always around that. And me and my sister, we would when we were younger, we would go to uh, work with my mom for a little bit because my dad would still be at work. And we would be kind of like running around the kitchen at June's and then my dad would come by and pick us up around five. And um, so I was always like that little kid that was just kind of like running in and out of like the kitchen. And so I was really comfortable about that. Um, and when uh, I went to Broadmoor, I was a junior in high school. And um, so I took this course at Broadmoor. And I didn't really know much about it. I just knew it was cooking. I love to cook and I love to eat. So um, it was a three-hour – basically took three hours out of your, your day out of high school. And um, went in and um, and Bob Broussard, the chef, like he was like the real deal. He was this chef that – you know wasn't he wasn't like a home ec teacher. Like he was like a real chef that had been an executive chef, you know, banquet chefs, worked at different hotels and restaurants around town and all over the country and – um, he would yell at us and, and you know, get angry about things and then, like, tell us the real story about, like, what it's like to be a chef. And uh, he was super critical about how we prep things. And, um, you know, it just – it was awesome. I really loved mm-hmm. it. And we um, you know, started going to the classes every day and, and wanting to learn more about it. And um, for me, I, like, I knew I wanted to be a chef then. Um, it was – I mean, I think the exact moment was when I was practicing for a competition and I did really well. It was a really good day. Like I, you know, I did all my dishes really well and it was just a nice clean practice. And I left driving home and thinking like, this is what I want to do. I want to do this forever. And yeah. And doing that at Broadmoor, just a, you know, back then it, it was just, it was really like a home at kitchen and it was kind of like, you know, we had a couple of stoves and we didn't have much freezer space. I remember in the winter, if it was cold enough, we would just store stuff outside. <laughs> if, in coolers. Yeah. And yeah. And I was like, this is weird. But like, I'm like, but then you're like, as a kid, you're like, damn, like Chef Bob is super smart. Like this, of course, it's freezing outside. We can just freeze it out there. And like, you know, there's a, there's a solution to everything really. And um, so I really love that. And doing the competitions for for culinary school and winning all those scholarships. Um, I think it was just, I was super lucky just being a part of that. You were one of Bob's really early stars, I think. He talked a lot about you before I ever met you. <laughs> I think it was... Because you were in the early part yeah, of the program, weren't you? Yeah, I think it you? was his second... I think it was the second year in uh, when I started, I think. Um, the year before his first year, I think, he, he took um, a student named John Dallin to nationals for like best best teen chef for like art institute and i think he won first place or close i think and um and so like i think that just kind of started it and then next year um i was a junior so there was a senior named kelly woldridge who's a good friend of mine he lives in denver now but he went to the johnson wales best teen chef um, competition and you know he went to nationals for Skills USA and all this stuff. So I looked up to him a little bit and was like, all right, I, like I need to like do this next year. I need to like you know follow those uh, those steps and and um, you know. And then my year was my senior year, um, just went on a, I guess a tear basically when won the uh, Johnson and Wales um, recipe contest and then took second in the nation for Skills USA. Wow, um, that was really interesting too because I think. 
going to Skills USA, it was actually here in Kansas City, so I had home field advantage out of all the all the kids. Um, and I was very cocky because I had already won the Johnson and Wales thing, and I thought I had this in the bag, and. I lost track of time during that competition and got real sloppy, and I was running behind when I – well, I thought I was running behind, but I wasn't. And so I remember the judges coming by and being like, look, kid, like if you would have kept your station clean, this would have been you hands down. But And nope, when I got second place, lost to a freshman, and that was really humbling. I, and that's when I kind of like, you know, needed to like calm down a little bit. <laughs> Describe, though, for people who don't know, when you go to a competition, I mean, there's sort of a, a sports home team <laughs> aspect yeah. to this. But what, what does it look like? Because um, I don't think a lot of people who have never gone to one of these events has any idea what you're talking about. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny because, like, it, they're judging you on taste and flavor and creativity, but then also your your cleanliness, organization, um, timing, um, you know, it's just down to like the way you wipe down your station, the way, you know, is your cutting board clean? Are you, are you doing the, the proper protocol on washing your cutting board or your, your utensils and, and those things you just don't think about that stuff when you think about like restaurants and chef life and all that stuff. And, um, and there's all the behind the scenes kind of things that you have to do to, to, to do your job right. And, um, you know, and that, that continues you know, even today. Yeah. You guys are in like these mini kitchens, though, when you show up and there's a panel of judges like both walking yeah. around and just staring at you. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it depends <laughs> it's on like what the Olympics, you know, like yeah, you know, tumbling uh, routine right. or something. <laughs> like it depends where you're at, but like sometimes like everyone has their own like, miniature kitchen, so they always have a table and a stove, and you probably have like a, an area that's like a shared communal area for like utensils and ingredients, but um, everyone's got their own little section and uh, depending on the room you're in, sometimes they're in different rooms, but sometimes they're just in a giant, massive warehouse kind of thing. Well, Skills USA, I mean, that's a huge competition that's a lot more than even cooking, right? Yeah, they, they do like other um, other skills and um, anything that has to do with your hands, basically. Mm-hmm. What was the recipe for Johnson & Wales that you won? So that one, uh, it was uh, so long ago now. It's, uh, <laughs> it was... Um, Halibut. So I did halibut with a lobster orzo, and it, it, I did a sun-dried tomato foam before I even knew what a foam really was. I just <laughs> thought it was cool. <laughs> and then um, and leeks, and um, you know, I had this, like, watercress salad on top. It had to be healthy. That was the thing. It had to be yeah. healthy. And, um, you know, I came up with it on my own, really, and just – I read a lot of cookbooks. I went to Barnes & Noble and read, like, Charlie Trotter's cookbooks, and there was one that was – there was a back then there wasn't very many healthy cookbooks, so there, there was, like, one. And I read it and kind of studied up on different grains and things like that, and, um, yeah, uh, just the foam thing, like, I read about it, but it was – that was in 2002, so – I mean, like the science there, like the the knowledge wasn't really there. Like, we, like I didn't really understand um, all the ingredients necessary to to hold those bubbles and what creates the bubbles. And I fa- I bought something off of eBay. It was a soda gun or soda um, canister. It wasn't made for like whipped creams or anything like that. And I used that, and I use I think I use soda chargers, not 
<laughs> whipped cream charger. So it was carbonated. So it wasn't like the greatest either. It was just a good idea, basically. But um, I guess I made it taste good enough. So you won a lot of money to go off to <clears throat> culinary school. Yeah, really lucky about that, especially nowadays. I think um, to have, you know, I won. I think I won over three hundred thousand dollars of scholarships. I was only able wow. to use one of them. So, I, um, yeah, the Johnson and Wales one was about eighty thousand dollars. It was a full ride. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm like knowing now, like I'm really glad I won that scholarship. I mean, I think I'd be paying that off still. So. No yeah. kidding. Now, did your parents, did they support going to culinary school? Because your mom yeah. had been in a restaurant, so she might say, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a terrible student, so my parents were just happy that I was going to do something, I think. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, and I and it was funny. Like, I, I remember, um, like, my dad thinking that, you know, you're probably just going to go to Johnson County Community College and, you know, like, let's let's face it here. Like, you're getting Ds and Fs and Cs and um and I remember that conversation I had with him, and I was just thinking in my mind, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win this scholarship, and I'm gonna move out of Kansas City, and, um, and it wasn't a thing like they didn't doubt me or anything like that, but they were they were being realistic, and, um, and so when I went there and did it, it was cool too because my parents actually they weren't there, but then they surprised me and actually showed up to the award ceremony, um, for that, which was a. a fun night too because I remember that night when they announced what I thought they announced the top uh, seven for some reason I, I thought that they weren't going to like name the like the bottom three or something so I thought they not they named the top seven so I was like damn I didn't even make the top seven and then they're like no Joe like you're in the top three and I'm like holy shit <laughs> yeah and and then they obviously named me and um, yeah so that was really neat to to um, have my parents there and see that and be a part of it. I'm sure they were really proud. And then you went to Denver, right? Yeah, I went to Denver and where Johnson and um, Wales has a campus. Yeah. And what happened there? So, <laughs> um, I, I was still <laughs> a I was, true story. Yeah, I was still a bad student. That that never changed. Um, yeah. I uh, so when I moved to Denver, so I was working for Forty Sardines with Michael Smith and Debbie Gold at the time, um, and I remember like I didn't know where to work, so Michael. He pulled out his James Beard book and was like, "All right, let's find a good restaurant." And he just and then he pointed at Adega and he was like, "This is where you need to go work at." I'm like, "Okay." So I went and staged there and gave my resume up and I actually got a job there just I don't know by accident I think, um, and I started working at Adega and I was working full time. Um, it was a four star restaurant. Brian Moscatello was a Food and Wine Magazine Best New Chef. I mean, it was like the hot spot, the best place to go to. Um, and I was working a ton in this like high end restaurant, and um, going to school full time as well. And classes started at seven, and classes at Johnson Wales would be they would basically go from like seven to I think three or two or something like that. There were like long classes, um, but you would do them in ten days. You would do them in ten days, and after that, then you're done with that class, and you would move on to the next class. And my first class was actually baking and pastry. Um, and I failed because I missed two days. And when you miss two days, you really, I mean, basically you just, you fail because that's 20% of your classes are gone. So, um, I, I had a hard time waking up because I was always working and, yeah, and I barely did the homework, but I was up trying to do homework and, um, 
and that kind of continued. Every class I went to, it was harder and harder, and I, I, I passed some of them. I, I mean, I aced most of them, but there were classes where I failed because I just couldn't make it in time, and I was, was oversleeping. And um, so it, I ended up having to take a third year just to get my two-year degree with Johnson & Wales. Um, and, you know, it's just like, again, those are like life lessons you think about it and like you realize that, you know, being a chef is not all about cooking. It's all these other things, the preparation, um, you know, going to meetings, understanding the books and um, you know, cleaning and all that other stuff. But you did get your degree. I did. Yay. I, yeah. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yeah. I, uh I wasn't sure of that when I was reading your bio. The other thing that was striking to me, and maybe, Lindsay, you knew this, but um, you have worked with a lot of really top chefs in Kansas City. I want you to talk a little bit about yeah. Michael and Debbie, and then you went to Bluestem, and you you worked – you kind of came back and forth, I think. You were at Bluestem several different times, and one time doing pastry with Megan, which I had no idea that you had done pastry. So talk a little bit about yeah, what you got you know. from all these people. So I, when I went to 40 Sardines, that was um, a, a big mistake on, like, as far as, like, not a mistake, but, like, a, an accident because I was just applying at all the restaurants, and I didn't have any experience. I had a resume that had nothing on it, basically, and I was giving these pieces of paper to chefs, and um, and I just wanted to cook, and I didn't understand that, man, it takes a lot of time to, um, to have that experience, and... Um, yeah, I went to 40 Sardines. They gave me a stage opportunity, so I staged um, under uh, David Felton, who was the chef of cuisine there, and Michael Smith and Debbie Gold were there, and I immediately realized how important this place was, the way everyone worked, um, the hustle, the ingredients, things I'd just never seen before, ever heard of before. Um, but, you know, I... I I stuck with it, and you know they gave me this job. I think I made like six fifty an hour or something like you that. You were how old at the time? Uh, sixteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was. Um. And you know when you're working with a bunch of like thirty year olds and stuff, you grow up real fast. Like you you realize that um, there's a lot to learn, and um, you know there's just so much they learned from from Debbie and and Michael and and all the cooks there. I mean that that lineup of cooks are all chefs and owners now and around town and. Um, Name some of the people. Yeah, who like were in Ted, the- Ted Havinger from Room Thirty Nine. You know, we had um, um, just like Howard Hanna uh, mm. from the Rieger. Yeah, it's just um, and ja- uh, uh, James Beard. They'd already won their James Beard Award. Yeah, they had already point. won the James so Beard Award. Here are these people, uh, kind of. You know what, what a mentors? What a, what, yeah. yeah, incredible. And I don't even think we knew where all those people were going at right. the time, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Pat from Shio. I, I see him like almost weekly. I go to Shio all the time. Um, yeah, there's just a ton of people. Um, yeah, and you know, and John McClure. So it was just uh, good times, and um, yeah, I, I learned a lot about just that farm to table. I mean, that that's what we were doing in 2002, like in. And they were ahead of it, and and all that, and um, yeah. Then I went to to Denver and and worked out there for a little bit. Um, and when I was so, I came back. I think my second year in school, I came back to Kansas City um, for the summer. I think I was kind of like in between apartments or something. So I just decided to go home and um, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go work. I wanted to go work for for Blue Stem and Colby Geralds because I read about him. I was working already for another Food & Wine Best New Chef, and Colby had just won Food & Wine Best New Chef, and 
um, you know, I met with him and, you know, he was just super, super nice. And it was funny because, like, at the time I was working for another restaurant in Boulder um, where it was tough. It was uh, with Frasca Food and Wine with Lachlan McKinnon Patterson, who's also a food and wine best new chef. Um, they, uh, it was a, a different environment. I mean, I just, I really, I was, I was a little young and um, just got my ass kicked. It was just, you know, I got yelled at a lot and it was tough. And, um, and I had already staged at, at Alinea in Chicago. So I had seen these like high profile kitchens and how intense they can be. And, um, and so going to Blue Stem, talking to Colby, who was just super, um, humble and just like, it felt like home, like, you know, cause he's from here too. And it just like, you know, he was just so welcoming and, and, you know, he was excited to have me on on the team and all that stuff. And for a young cook like myself, who doesn't really have a name for them, himself, um, to have that chef be excited to have this person be on the team, it was really exciting. And started working at Blue Stem for a little bit. And after about a year, I uh, decided to go back to school. And so I went to back, back to school and finished up and did my degree. And then once I got done... Um, Megan was looking for a pastry chef for pastry sous chef, and I was like, "Hey, I'll do it. Like I've never done before, but you know, I've worked there before, and you know, I know what things are doing, what you guys are doing, and stuff." And um, so she was like, "Yeah, come back in." And um, so she had me um, do the pastry, and um, so it was like my first kind of there was semi management, um, my semi management job that I got to do, but um, it was it was really great because I got to learn a lot about pastry under her and I got to create these dishes and come up with new menu items and be creative in a different way and um and it just really helped me be more of a well-rounded chef. I think it's great that I can be able to understand the science behind some of the baking and pastry. I'm not an expert by any means, but um to have that experience really helped me out big time. How long did you do pastry? So I did it for a year. That's yeah. that's a pretty good time. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I did it for a year, and then that's and then I got cocky again. <laughs> yeah. So then, what did you yeah, do? So Go to the bar. <laughs> so I, I I took this executive chef job. Uh, I mean, I was twenty two years old. It was like ridiculous. I should have never been the executive chef. Um, and it was uh, Delaware Cafe. It's where the farmhouse is now. And um, you know, we the food was great. We had fun. We we had a um, an exciting menu, but man, service was terrible. Our numbers were terrible. I, I couldn't even tell you what the food cost was. I wasn't paying attention to any of that and realized that, you know, at, as the months went on, I realized this was a business and I have to, um, I got to create business and I got to learn how to save money and things like that. And, um, and that's when I burnt out and I was like, I'm not ready for this. And I, decided to move to Vegas. Because that's what over. everybody does, right? Roll <laughs> yeah. the dice and yeah. start over. Yeah. <laughs> Roll the dice. Nice, Jill. <laughs> what did you do in Vegas? Did you did you cook in Vegas too? Yeah. So I I, um, I staged at different restaurants. This was the worst timing ever too because this was in 2008. Mm. The market crashed. Um, all the restaurants in, in Vegas had a hiring freeze. All the hotels did not hire anyone because they stopped. Because I think that's when everyone was saying, don't go to Vegas and don't spend your money and all this stuff. And um, and it was the worst time for me to do that. But I went and staged at some restaurants. I staged at Charlie Trotter's um, at the Venetian. Um, 
And then I staged at Alex at the Wynn Resort. And Alex was a Michelin two-star restaurant, five stars, five diamonds. They, I mean, they were the whole thing. Like, I mean, it was just, it was everything I've always dreamt about, the things I read about, all the things about, you know, this, like, high-end French, you know, Italian kind of kitchen. Um, Alex Strada had won James Beard Awards. He was a Food and Wine Magazine Best New Chef. He... Uh, eventually went on Top Chef Masters, and I was his sous chef while he was um, on that show. And, um, you know, so I started at the bottom, and I was, like, the kid from Kansas where, like, all the cooks kind of, like, poked fun at me for a little bit. Like, even when we were um, – we were really excited about some fresh tuna that came in, so everyone's kind of, like, tasting it. And they're like, hey, Joe, come over here. Like, try this out. And, like, have you, do you even – like, do you guys even have, like – fish in Kansas and I'm like yes like it's we're not, yeah I know I was like okay this is you know and I had to prove myself and I worked my way up um in the three years um in that kitchen and that was the time when I I felt like I, I really grew up a lot you know just because I was working with a lot of professionals a lot of cooks that acted like chefs and they were um yeah it was just like you had a lot of respect for everyone there and um, yeah, you learned a lot. Well, it sounds like you went there humbled. To yeah, begin. <clears throat> for sure. I was definitely very humble. It was. I remember too because I I was leaving Kansas City, and when I got to Vegas, the the last review of Delaware Cafe came out, and it was by um, uh, the Pitch, and uh, it was not a good not a good review. It was it was kind of like half half good, half bad, and uh, basically saying that I all I do is gimmicky dishes and um and they kind of failed in in some ways and so I, f- I felt for a little bit there like I was kind of like kicked out of the city in a way but that's just my my fault really and um yeah so I was that was my goal was to like get better and then come back so you didn't want to stay in Vegas so. no i mean it was like it was fun it was i had a good time and you know the whole like everything's open 24 hours you know, you can get off work and go to the bars with your friends and hang out, and there was no, like, closing time, which was kind of dangerous. <laughs> um, and uh, and that was fun, but then I wanted – I really did want to come back, and the whole thing was, like, my, my true dream job, though, was to be a chef of cuisine at Blue Stem uh, one day. Um, and that opportunity eventually happened, and um, that's why it was so great to, to be back in Kansas City and um, – that time, my third time back at Blue Stem, I was I was there for three years, and um, you know again more experience. Got to learn how to run a kitchen and uh, make decisions. And you know, Colby was a great mentor, and you know he's um, always been there for me. And and you know, he's he was hard on me at times, and you know and and that really helped me out. And um, yeah, I learned a lot again. And then you did some pop-ups, and that's where we met and got to know each other fairly well because I did a profile on you for the star. Yeah. Um, and at that time, you wanted your own restaurant, so let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that. That right? Yeah, I was super excited about having like my own identity and 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 my own style, and um, so I opened up this pop-up called Kushi, and it was all about just doing this tasting menu where. Um, you know, I was doing these pop-ups at different restaurants and different buildings, and um, and the the menu was fun, and it was stuff that I wanted to cook, and and people started coming to it, and the thing was like I had a I had a website, and 
I managed all the money. I managed all the uh, the tickets and the advertising, the marketing, all that stuff. You had to be everything, especially when it's a pop up, because you're you're just you. <laughs> and then you know, and you and you have some help, and you, you get some friends to come in and help you out with serving and cooking and you know all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to a couple of those, and they were really they were really great, but never quite materialized into what you were trying to do at that time so yeah i think part of it too was like i wanted to it was it was a marketing way it was a way of marketing myself to get investors as well as on top of just making money to survive and so you know i thought that i would be able to make enough buzz to to get someone's attention and get enough uh, um, backing to open up a restaurant and you know, eventually you realize like, okay, there's a lot of work here. I gotta like, I gotta go buy the plates. I gotta go buy the glasses, the the, the silverware. And you're like, oh wait, I need more than just one glass per person because there's multiple courses and different wines. And so you need like, you know, five or six per person. So that ends up being like 150 glasses. And you know, same with the silverware. You can't just have one fork per person. You gotta switch it out every course. And um, you, you think about the ingredients you can't there's certain special ingredients that you can't get because you, you don't have a restaurant and you can't get it delivered to you and then you have to go to the grocery store and find the stuff that, that's around uh, town and um, and you know and then if you don't sell tickets you don't make any money and you can't pay rent <laughs> and that's when I realized like I needed to make a decision and if I needed like um, hold off on that and um, go back to being a chef of a restaurant or a hotel or something, and um, you know, and I, and I did it twice. So like after Stock Hill, uh, so I went to Stock Hill, opened it, and then after that, thought that I could redo it again and get it going. And you realize after the second time doing it, the the excitement is kind of like gone. The the buzz is not quite as strong because. Most people have already done it. They've already dined there. They've already had the, the experience. So it's the newness is gone. And so it was a lot harder to to do it a second time around. I did get much closer to get the investors that I wanted for a restaurant. But, again, just not quite there. And then also just realizing, like, how the market is and how scary it can be with, um, you know, that risk of opening up a restaurant is really um, real scary. Definitely. So you have a pretty – in the world of food, you have a more secure job now. Yeah. What's it like to work for a hotel? I'm sure you have great benefits and – Yeah, benefits are Not good. normal hours, I'm sure. But. Yeah, the hours are not normal. <laughs> um, it can be even worse with hotels because we are 24-7. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we I got to – I have a breakfast menu, I have a lunch menu, I have a dinner menu, I have a room service menu, banquets and catering, off-site uh, menus. And you're um, in charge of all that? Yeah, I'm in charge of all of that. So, you know, it, it's people don't realize that, yeah, when you come in for dinner, like you're getting just, a, you know, an eighth of what I do. Or if you come in for breakfast or lunch, you know, this is just a small, you know, section of what um, what I'm thinking about, really. And so, um, yeah, and the thing is, you can't be there all the time. You can't be there seven days a week. You can't be there all meal periods. Something's going to not get my attention at some point. And so you have to learn how to trust people and you have to train people and teach people. Um, This job has really taught me a lot about stepping back a little bit, although I do struggle with that sometimes because I want to have my finger on the pulse all the time. But, 
you know, you have to balance your life out and you have to um, give yourself some time. Um, otherwise, you're just going to go crazy. And so, you know, I, I, I teach that and I talk about that with my with my team a lot, too. We kind of, you know, we, we I try to enforce this, like, two-day-off thing. You always get two days off. Um, if not, it must be real crazy because uh, generally we, we do a good job about giving people the time off they need and, uh, sometimes I don't follow that, and that's the thing. I don't follow my own rules sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, and that, whether it's like even if I work a half a day, it's still work, and that's still that takes time away from your your mental health. And um, but definitely, it's it's super important for me and super important for our team. And um, what's great about our hotel and our company, like we really um, we really think that's really important. Um, that's something that's talked about a lot with um, you know everyone. To our CEO, CFO, and COO, and um, even like my bosses in Louisville, everyone's talking about it. It's comforting. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's um, it, you know. And and the thing is, like, you, for me, I love food. I love I love anything that has to do with food. So just because it's breakfast doesn't mean I I don't care. Like I really do. Like actually like really good. You know, bacon and, and eggs and things like that. It's actually one of my favorite meals of the day. Um, yeah, and so you know, you, you you. But then you also have to think about your audience too. And so you can't be, you can't just go crazy and make breakfast like this weird, crazy like thing. And uh, same thing with like banquets and, and catering. You have to create food that's going to be good for two hundred people or hundred people at a time, and not just you know your little dining room. And I think banquets are so different, and I think room service is so different, and that's kind of the hidden piece that a lot of people don't really think about. You yeah. know, they think, "Oh, Joe's got a restaurant over, the, you know, in the Savoy," and like, this, er, what? I don't know. There's just so much more to your job. You know, that's yeah. not just you're not just hanging out in that kitchen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just uh, it, it's there's always something going on, and. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I wish I – sometimes I wish, okay, I wish we were only open five nights a week and I could – you know, the whole team could be off two days a week and and we can just focus on dinner and, and make this, like, this super detailed-oriented menu and, and you know, just have these, like, 100% perfect dishes every single time um, kind of a thing. And, and we try to, and that's what we – that's the goal. But, you know, in reality, though, is that – I gotta spend my energy on other things too, and and so that's I think that's the misconception about being a chef, especially for a hotel chef. Um, and uh, you know, but saying that, like it also, it's also great. It's a lot of fun. Um, it keeps me excited. You know, you don't get bored with one thing because there's just always something. Yeah, you're always. I'm always thinking three months ahead. Like, what are we gonna do for the next season for breakfast or lunch or dinner and. And so, you know, when you have your teams that, you know, that cooks that are for dinner, they don't think about the breakfast stuff and the breakfast cooks don't think about the dinner things and they don't realize, oh, yeah, like he's got to do that too. And, and uh, it ties together. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're there a lot. But, um, again, you just got to you got to manage your schedule and, and make it uh, make sense. So I I don't know how old you are now, but. Like, where are we in that you are now mentoring people? So yeah. you were young, you were 16, you get you get picked up and you get mentored. Who are you mentoring now? So, you know, I'm my whole team is it's a wide range of cooks and chefs, you know, from 
we have some cooks that are in culinary school right now, uh, Johnson County Community College. Um, they're on like the culinary team. And what's cool is I was on the culinary team when I was in, in uh, culinary school. So I get it. I understand it. I understand that they're working a lot, but then they're also going to practices and they have to go to these competitions and you know, and, and all that stuff. So I try to be as flexible as I can to make sure that they're, they got the time to do that stuff. Um, you know, we got sous chefs that we have a sous chef that's, this is his first sous chef position. Um, so he's new to, to the management side of things. And then we've got my chef de cuisine, Nick, he's super experienced. He's only a couple years younger than I am. I'm 30, I'm about to be 34. Um, and he's, been a chef of his own restaurant before he's been um at some really great restaurants um and so i also have to let him be creative and let him have some authority in the kitchen because when i was the chef cuisine blue stem i had a lot of authority and people listened to me in the kitchen and um you know what i said goes and you know obviously it was under colby's direction but um so i have to like realize like where i was and what i wanted and and things like that so you know, now it's it's really fun because I am mentoring cooks and telling them to, you know, uh, simplify. And it's funny because back when I was younger, Colby always told me to simplify, simplify. And, you know, because I was always putting on these, like, dishes with 15 components and all this stuff. Cause, and the way he – Colby described it was, like, um, Metallica. Back when they were younger, all the riffs, all the things that they were doing, all the songs, they were trying to put everything that they knew into, you know, one song. And then as they got older, it simplified a little bit, but still great. And so, you know, it was kind of like one of those things, like, yeah, like, instead of every dish having to show and, like, show off everyone that I'm, I know this and that and this stuff, like, it's more about just making the food taste really good and um, so, you know, we talk about the basics a lot. I mean, every day it's all about like seasoning and is hot food hot. Like that's really kind of like, you know, we, we got to go back to that kind of stuff. And, that's my total pet peeve. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and you think about it too, it's like you have to, you learn that you repeat yourself over and over again and it never changes because the new, new cooks come in and they have to be taught the same thing. So you just – you have to realize that you're going to be teaching people the same things over and over again. But over time, you also learn a lot from them too and, and you become a better manager and um, a leader and, and yeah, you just like it, – it's, um, it's really gratifying and fun to, to do that because I, I think – Every day when we're doing these new menus and, and we're pushing forward and the years go by, you realize that, like, you're chasing something. And I never really knew exactly what I was chasing. I, I thought I, I wasn't – obviously, we're chasing these awards and we're chasing, like, stardom and, and like, you want to be the best chef in your own city and you want people to, to respect what you do and you want people to um, appreciate what you do and, and come to your restaurant. But also I'm, like, chasing this, like, you know – Certain moments of my life, like the good times at certain restaurants that I really enjoy, the the, the environment, the work environments, the ones that I really uh, excelled at. And you want to bring that back so your staff can kind of experience those same things. So, you know, kind of just pick and choose the best things of the places I used to work at and implement that into our kitchen. Um, and we, we talk about the details and, you know, I think they appreciate that, that we're, you know, like – I, what the uniforms are is important to me, and and I think that's important to them. And I think like um, talking about, you know, in the kitchen we say we in the kitchen like when so everyone agrees on like okay that's what we're doing next, and we say that. And um, 
those details, I think they matter a lot. And um, cooks come to our kitchen, especially the new ones. They come in and they're they're surprised and then also appreciative of, um, wow, like this is different. This is not just any old kitchen. This is not just any old restaurant. Um, like they actually pay attention to all the details. The way we we cut our tape for labeling, um, so they're straight edges, and um, we and we talk about all those things, and I think they appreciate that. Your kitchen. Did you get to say what that would look like? Did you get to help uh, in the design? or the, the design of the kitchen was already done, but I got to look at it before I took the job. And then I got to make adjustments. So, you know, the building hadn't been finished yet, so we were still in construction. So I was, like, monitoring the kitchen constantly. Like, I'd come in and check out what had been done and... Um, there were things that needed to be fixed and things. I'm like, okay, this, uh, this counter is way too high. Like this is impossible. We can't have this. And, uh, we moved a few things here and there. Um, I got to choose, um, yeah, just like our plateware and things like that. And, um, and have a lot of say in our equipment. So that's nice. So it's set up kind of the way you want. And you, we were talking off air about benefits we'd been to Lindsay at, at hotels, one yeah. of them at the president that you were at. And dumb, you know, in in older buildings, they were dumb waitering the food up and down, and just you know, the kitchen was far away from the the ballroom, and just how difficult that kind of thing can be. And I wondered if if you had to sort of overcome some of that, or if in the renovation you you got a more workable situation. Yeah, I think the they did a good job with the renovation. I felt like it, I feel like it's really um, as far as the way it was already designed, like set up. Um, I think it's pretty convenient. I mean, there's always like. Like things that you look back on, and you're like, oh, I wish we did this or that, because um, you just don't know. Like going into a new kitchen or an operation, to like, how do people walk? Like, where are they walking to? Like, where are the busy parts of the kitchen or the building? Um, even just like, where are the servers? How? What direction are they going to be walking to to the kitchen? Because we have a couple different doors, and um, you realize, okay, well, it would be awesome if the walking was on the other side of the kitchen, closer to the prep side and things like that but um no but it's still it's a really cool kitchen it's it's pretty open and the way it's set up is it's like a poor man's french like brigade style kitchen um we have two sides of the line and then the food goes up to the pass so and that's where all the chefs plate the food and we get to have a little bit of fun with that like your dining space is like a tale of two restaurants almost too because the dining room is so bright yeah. and light and airy and then the bar and the lounge is this cool dark sexy mahogany wood leather Does, so, do you think about that when you're so we switched it you we changed yeah we changed it we um we took the dining room and turned it into an art gallery and we moved all the dining into the the bar space um we just listened to the guests and we and we realized that people really enjoyed that room mm-hmm. And we, we made that move, and um, we're still in the middle of doing some changes. We got some new chairs that just came in a couple of weeks ago, and the tables got restained, and we're adding some banquettes eventually. And it's going to be really exciting to see all that happen. Yeah. We, we got a lot of feedback when we opened. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and so 
what was some of that that was it, so striking? It, it was funny because like when we before we even open, I mean, I was getting letters about like almost like threats that like I needed <laughs> to keep the menu the same and all this stuff, and that there was going to be all these important people in Kansas City that are going to have my job if like you know if I don't get this done right. And who is writing um, things like oh, that? Oh, it was we got some people, some funny people out there. Um, and, and then when we opened up, it was man, just a ton of people that used to go to the old Savoy. That had this uh, connection with the with the building and, and the restaurant, and I understand, but like, you know, it had been closed since 2013, and it closed for a reason. You know, they and you know, I, we have video of that dining room just being completely empty. Of you know, like when Anthony Bourdain came in that one time, and and so it's hard to believe that everyone was supporting that restaurant the way they should have, um, but. Yeah, you know, we got a lot of a lot of feedback on that stuff about the way it looked, the way the art is, um, the way the food is, and even if I wanted to recreate that menu, the same menu, it just wouldn't be the same. I think that again, like it all stems off of just like how your mood, your feeling, you know, that time of the of your life. Um, those special occasions you probably came in for special occasions, so you're, you know, that, that stuff just Strong affects. Strong memories. Yeah, yeah, it affects the way you you remember things, and um, and and but we try to recreate that. We try to recreate those good memories, and we have a new generation of people that are looking for fun, exciting food, and in a building that's really beautiful. We, you know, we that room is pretty much all the same, anyways. So it's just really fun to be in that room now. So there are blessings and challenges when it comes to reimagining an iconic space like that. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, yeah, you have that battle between the two because you want to do what you think is right and then you also want to make people happy too. And so, I mean, definitely, you know, that's the thing. And the thing is, you're not going to make everyone happy. And I've realized that too. Like I thought creating this like classic menu back when we first opened, thought, okay, everyone's going to love this because no one's going to complain about this um, about these new flavors and the the weird creativity that I kind of come up with sometimes. And um, I thought, like, this was going to be a crowd pleaser, a no-brainer, and then realizing that, nope, not – you can't please everyone, so you should do what you think is right and cook the food that you feel like is uh, deserving to be on that plate. And I love that the menu has a little bit of you poking through, too, um, like actual <laughs> – Actual Joe quips. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about, and it's not on every dish. Nope. So it's just every once in a while, like fastest gnocchi maker, you know, <laughs> caught my eye, and just you hear your voice saying little yeah. things to us. Uh, it's funny because it kind of started a little bit before, it started at the end of my time with Blue Stem, and and I kind of did it a little bit in Cincinnati, and and then the pop ups in Kansas City, and uh, I eventually just started writing menus with just what was in my mind at the time and doing that and not trying too hard to like be different or anything like that just kind of saying this is what I'm thinking right now and I wrote it as that and that's the menu and um my bosses they love it they um are There's food, just like a little yeah. quote next to yeah, it they, it's personality it's Joe yeah, they, you know the, the company loves it the everybody enjoys it the guests they really have fun with it um, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, so there's a lot of Seinfeld references. Um, you know, for instance, even even the toast. So in breakfast, we have we have like four or five different uh, varieties of toast, and 
one has to be marble rye because of the episode of, <laughs> where Jerry steals the marble rye from the old lady and um, and so that's the only reason why it's on. I mean, I love marble rye, but I mean, that's really the reason why it's on the menu. <laughs> That's so <laughs> funny. What about like chocolate babka and just yeah, right, right. yeah, exactly. Like I would love to have a chocolate babka on the menu. I love that um, soup Nazi. Yeah, soup Nazi. Got one of those in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can act like it sometimes. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's a little quote about uh, Kramer. He he's complaining about the the, the Dijon, the mustard, and Jerry's refrigerator. Um, he's trying to make a sandwich, and so I kind of mentioned that a little bit with the tartare <laughs> dish that we've got. Comes with a little bit of stone ground mustard on it. When I was writing for Full Disclosure, I was writing for the app that the um, hotel uses, and I asked you what I should come in and try, and you suggested the uh, escargot tortellini. Why did you pick that dish? Um, well, one, I think is, uh, it was a, an original dish that I kind of came up with. Um, and I thought it, uh, it was a good transition from old and new with the, the classic, tor- uh, the classic, uh, escargot, you know, that's the stuff that you get with the garlic butter and the, the maitre d' butter that's cooked and it's all bubbly and hot. And so I wanted to recreate that in a different way and taking tortellini pasta, and, and wrapping the escargot with the maitre d' butter. So it's almost like a soup dumpling with that butter inside. So I always tell people, like, you got to eat it whole so you can let that butter just kind of like burst. And then you eat that escargot. And, um, and it's oh funny because it kind of like stemmed from an idea. Of, it was delicious. Yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he walked yeah. away so I could moan in, in right? the, the booth all by myself. And then you don't need the little <laughs> fork, right? It's just all ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. It stemmed from I was eating at a restaurant in Chicago and there was an escargot ravioli that I was going to get. And I um, I was expecting this, like, whole escargot for some reason in the pasta. And that's – it was totally different. It was, like, a ground escargot. And you kind of, like, didn't even – you wouldn't have known it was escargot if you ate the ravioli. And it, you could have just told someone it could be anything. And um, – but it always stuck in my mind about that. And, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to do this and created this tortelloni with the escargot, the whole escargot in one. Wow. Um, yeah. It's fun. It's always, it's always on the menu. It's a – I think we're probably going to keep that one for a while. I think you should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Signature. Yeah. Um, you have a charity that you've been working very closely with, and I think um, you should talk a little bit yeah. about No Kids yeah, Hungry. No, no Kid Hungry. Um, it's a great organization. Uh, I started doing some events a few years ago here and there, and uh, 21C has a huge partner with, with No Kid Hungry and – all the properties we always do something for the charity, and this year we did one. Um, we did a dinner at, at the Savoy and um, had some chefs from all over the country. We had Michael Corvino from here, and we had uh, um, all these chefs that a lot of them just came from the south. And so it was really cool because we had. Um, for me, it was my first real. Sh- well, it was, I guess my yeah, this was my first charity event that. I got to kind of organize and the chefs and get them in and create a menu for it. And, um, you know, growing up in Kansas City, you always thought about, like, the American restaurant doing, like, these James Beard dinners and and all that stuff. And, you know, I think they still do. They still do it, but I feel like we've kind of, like, lost a little bit of that. Um, and so it was just really fun to kind of have that opportunity and, and be that restaurant for the night and have people come in and experience – all these different cuisines from these different chefs and then raise a lot of money for No Kid Hungry. 
um, I actually got to do an event in New York City with No Kid Hungry um, last year too, and um, and I think we're going to New or- we're going to New Orleans next month, and um, we're, uh, we're just looking forward to next year's or I guess this year 2020's um, No Kid Hungry dinner, hopefully in November. Do you get nervous when they're raffling off? I looked over at the different chefs, and they all had different reactions <clears throat> as. You know, the the tickers going up and up on the amount of money they're earning. <laughs> you, you looked only mildly nervous. Yeah, I, I wasn't nervous. I, actually, I was nervous because I, I was hoping that I wasn't, like, going to pull the least amount of food or money. Like I, I wanted, well, I know. That's what yeah, everybody's yeah, thinking. Yeah, you kind of – you're like, uh, it's like, come on. Like, you know, it'll be great. It'll be fun, you know. And, um, yeah, so it was – yeah, that part, yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking for sure. Yeah, it's it's – Really fun though. You you raised a lot of money that night. Yeah, um, close to forty five thousand for wow. that night. So yeah, it was awesome for our first one too. I feel like um, I've I've been told that you know the first one's usually kind of low and it kind of just gets bigger and bigger every year. But we we did better than our goal, so it was awesome. That's, That's wonderful. I'm traveling to cook a lot. Did I? Am I like having a flash of chili and cinnamon sprinkles on top? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I did this event in um, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it was called Flavor Nation. So they had chefs that represented different states, and you didn't necessarily have to be from that state. I just so happened to have Kansas, which I was. I mean, obviously, I live in Missouri, but um, I represented Kansas with the chili and cinnamon rolls kind of thing. So I did the cinnamon roll crumble to go with this chili that I've been making, and uh, yeah, I just. That's what's fun about this also is that I get to travel a lot. I get to see different kitchens and different chefs and cities. And, again, like I love to eat, so I like to go and try out different restaurants at different places and bring those ideas with me back to Kansas City. And you're a really young chef. What do you see down the road? What's like if you imagine – See, you've been doing this since you were 16, so a whole, yeah. like, 15 years, another 15 years down the road. <laughs> what's that What's that look like? Yeah, I, it's uh, – I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of one of those things that you just kind of – so when I was younger, I was like, okay, I have to be – when I'm 30, i got to be an executive chef. i got to do this. I have to win these awards and stuff. And then, you know, I I would say I halfway did what I wanted to do. There's certain things I wanted to accomplish or achieve, but um, – then you're like, okay, I'll wait till I'm 40. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll win these awards or whatever. I'll become this chef, whatever. And, um, and you just kind of realize like, um, it's really not that most. That's not the important part of the whole thing. And it's really just about mentoring and and teaching and um, making people happy. And and so I love I love new ideas. I love creating systems. I love um, figuring out problems and or fi- fixing problems and. Um, and you, and you learn a lot throughout the year, so you kind of want to use that knowledge and 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 just keep going. So it's hard to say, you know. It's it's one of those things. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, I can't wait to be out of the kitchen and run a restaurant or something or whatever. And um, or yeah, you just don't know. You just you just keep going. Well, the future is bright no matter what it is. That's right. We'll follow you. Uh, I highly recommend Chef's Instagram. It's pretty hilarious and entertaining. <laughs> yeah. It's like this crazy, addictive, uh, bad – that's not a bad habit, I guess. It's just a habit for sure. I started doing that when I was at Blue Stem, doing like Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. And, and you have your Instagram logo um, on the menu, don't you? Or yeah, you yeah. We have our – yeah, on the menu and uh, – you know, and and it's just cool because people can see the fun side of things, and it's not this like serious, 
um, you know, dining experience and like there's a person behind all of this and you know, I'm not this mad scientist, you know, <laughs> weird like, you know, like, You are fermenting a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, but there's like a there's that's different like, than foaming everything though. Right, exactly. And and I like to poke fun at things like that too, like, you know, and and say like, yeah, I know it's another foam, but um, you know, it, it's uh, but I promise this one tastes good, so it doesn't taste like soap. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. cooking is though, right? It's yeah. science and art. It is. It's science and art and um yeah, you just you gotta you gotta trust your instincts, and you gotta you gotta taste things. You gotta know what you're looking for, and so you can kind of chase those dreams. I think that's a great place to stop. I think you're right. Chase your dreams. Thanks for coming in, Joe. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Thanks. 